Good morning. As we turn from, excuse me, as we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us to do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Romans chapter 15, verse 14 in the Blue Pew Bible. It can be found on page 978. Again, the text is Romans 15, verse 14, found on page 978 of the Pew Bibles. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, Father, this morning would uh, you bless this uh, final um, installment to the series before we review all the chapters next Sunday. But Father, this morning, please, I pray that it would come together, that your very counterintuitive, countercultural community of faith would be compelling to each and every soul here young and old, rich and poor, from every walk of life, that we would see the beauty, the necessity, the opportunity found in the body of Christ. That we would see ourselves as essential members, those who need and are needed in every single way. Oh, Father, I pray that we would fall in love with the vision that that Paul gives us, of the people of God as found in Romans. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, I grab, grab a Bible. Uh, sometimes you can just kind of listen along, but this morning we're going to be actually uh, making our way uh, through a number of different places. We're actually going to start in the Old Testament this morning, then we'll, we'll, um, we'll make our way to, uh, to the, the, the text that Jennifer uh, read for us. But if you would, turn to page 557 in your pew Bible. That's, that's Proverbs 18.1. Proverbs 18.1, I want to make an opening contrast here between two ways of doing life, two ways of doing relationships. Again, it's page 557 in your pew Bible, it's it's Proverbs 18.1, and I'm going to, in a little bit, uh, in a a small sort of way, I'm going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, I'm going to mess with the text here just a little bit, but uh, I want want to make a fundamental point. On the one hand, you have Proverbs 18.1, which says this, an unfriendly man or an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. The Hebrew there, parad, means to, for, for unfriendly, it means to separate yourself, to isolate yourself. The person who isolates themselves, what? Pursues selfish ends. The person who, who says, listen, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm on my own by myself, I don't need community, I don't need relationships, I'm self-reliant. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. How many of you today have maybe had parents who wanted, as a goal for your life, for you to be self-reliant? They wanted to raise children that were self-reliant. And in some way, there's some good to that. Don't get me wrong. The, the, the contrast could be someone who just mooches off, someone who's just dependent on other people, takes advantage of other people, always taking like a leech. That's, not, that's understandable. That's not what we're after. But there's a different kind of self-reliance that backs away, that says, listen, I'm not going to depend on anyone or anything. I'm going to be invulnerable. 
I'm going to raise my child to be invulnerable, to be fully self-reliant in that sense. And the Proverbs here is, is questioning that. An unfriendly person, someone who isolates themselves, who won't let anybody in, who maybe is cordial, is nice, but at the end of the day, they are, they are by themselves. They do their own thing. They're a lone wolf. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. And this is where, again, with the Hebrew, I'm going to mess with it a little bit. The, 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 the NIV gives a fair translation, and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Uh, the word starts quarrels there really is breaking out. They break out against. And I'm actually going to just turn the words around a little bit here and say that this person, this unfriendly person, breaks out against all sound judgment. Are you with me? They break out against, they challenge, they defy all sound judgment. In other words, there's a sense in which to actually pursue that path of self-reliance, that path of independence, that path of autonomy, is, is to do what? To defy all sound judgment. That what may seem right to us at first, this path of independence, this path of making myself invulnerable, actually in the end or sooner than later is going to prove impossible. Why? Because we live in a world that's so much bigger than we are. We're for, there are forces at play, I mean, from our health to our vocational circumstances to, um, to, to friendships going south, all manner of things, that things can go so wrong that to pursue this path of independence, of autonomy, is actually breaking out against all sound judgment. That's one way of doing life. In fact, it's summarized today in the Atlantic. I was reading an article that summarized our culture today as an agility culture. An agility culture. What, is it, what does it mean to be agile? Right, to be nimble, right? You think of a basketball player, for example, a football player. They're incredibly nimble. They're able to move. They're able to fake, go back and forth. They're able to move independently by themselves wherever they need to go immediately. And the whole idea of an agility culture is that you have no constraints. You're on the move all the time. Geographically, vocationally, relationally, there's nothing holding you down. The idea that to be static in one place, to stay rooted somewhere to be static, is the equivalent of being stagnant. Are you with me? That's the idea behind the agility culture. Don't, don't tie yourself down. Don't make commitments. Keep everything provisional. That's the agility culture. We'll come back to that. That's what this verse represents, the agility culture. Now, turn to the left to, uh, to, chapter, to Proverbs 11.25, so the top of page 551. Again, Proverbs 12, I'm sorry, Proverbs 11.25 Page of, the top of page 551 on the top left there. Listen to this. A generous person will prosper. And here generous doesn't just mean financial generosity. You know, an open hand, you could say an open-handed person. Someone who's willing to give, someone who's willing to give away. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Isn't that an amazing statement? Very counterintuitive. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. It's a totally different way of thinking about relationships. A totally different way about thinking about community. It's a totally different way of thinking about how to do life 
in relationship to other people. That what I'm actually going to do is live a life that is marked overwhelmingly by a giving. And I'm doing it, and this is classic Proverbs, this is true to the, to what, the whole concept of wisdom is always an appeal to self-interest. It's the redemption of self-interest. It's not a harmful self-interest. It's a loving, giving mutuality that says, hey, if I actually am generous, what? Yes, I'm doing it for your good. Yes, I'm doing it to help you out. But I realize that we need each other. <laughs> I need you. You need me. That I have blind spots, that you have blind spots. That I have strengths that you don't have, and you have strengths that I don't have. And that together, this is a lot more possible. Prosperity, prospering, succeeding, whatever that may look like, is, is a far more possible. A generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Now, I don't know, perhaps that's, that, that verse seems very foreign to you, very counterintuitive, very just like, that isn't, that's not what I know. And for, but for others of you, you, you know exactly what it's talking about. You, ever, you talk to someone, maybe a friend or someone here in a small, small group that you go to, whatever it may be, and they're, they're, just, they're discouraged. They're down. And you encourage them. You say something that they need to hear. I mean, even, even now, as we were doing that, that time of a season of public thanksgiving, when you, you, you stand up and you say, hey, I want to give thanks for Sally over here or Bob over here, and just in the giving, in the refreshing of them, the honoring, the encouraging, it just feels good, doesn't it? It's like, oh, it's just a, a wonderful thing. So we're seeing in these two verses a contrast of two ways of doing community. Why is it that the second one, Proverbs eleven twenty five, is so much is, is is so much more to be preferred? Let's look at a few more proverbs. Turn to the right, just a few pages. Proverbs fourteen twelve, page five fifty three. Proverbs fourteen twelve. Stick with me here. Proverbs fourteen twelve says there is a way that appears to be right. That word appear is the key word. There is a way that seems to be right. But in the end, it leads to what? To death. There's a way of living life. There's, you know, hey, this, this seems, makes all the sense in the world. That seems so right, and it leads to death. And when does it lead to death? When do you know this, is, this was a bad decision? What does it say? In the end. You're not going to know it until the end. You're going to be going along, oh yeah, this is the way to go. And the years go by, a decade, two decades, maybe three decades, and guess what? You realize, oh crap. You look in the mirror and you think, what happened? There is a way that seems right, that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Not just, you know, to disadvantage, not just to, you know, a, a worse retirement. It leads to death. Now, turn to the right again. Go to page, uh, go, to, go to chapter Proverbs 16.25. Proverbs 16.25. If, if you can, keep your finger in the other place. Proverbs 14.12. Now we're going to Proverbs 16.25. It's on the top there, page 556. Proverbs 16.25 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. How is that different from the previous one? You guys see the difference there? 1412, 1625, what's the difference? 
There's no difference. <laughs> Sorry, a trick question. I know, I know. That jerk. Yeah. Anyway, so wait. So what does that mean? The proposition, it's in there what? Twice. Parents, why would you ever have to say anything twice? Uh, whoever can buy the Proverbs, they're like, yeah, let's just put that one in again. <laughs> right? There's a way that seems right to a person. You get the old NIV. There's a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Okay? It's in there twice. What does that say about you? What does it say about me? What does it say about us? And our capacity on our own. There was a, there was a way to a man, to a person, to an individual. That seems so right. It makes all the sense in the world. Every bone in my body, it just is the obvious, duh, the right thing to do. And the end, in the end, gang, it leads to death. That is the life of the individual. Even the best of the best, the smartest of the smartest of us, that is the way. It doesn't say there's a way that appears to be right to dumb people, to the uneducated to people. There's a way that seems right to the Democrat. There's a way that seems right to the Republican. It doesn't say any of that. It says to every single person, every one of us, no matter our walk of life, no matter, much, no matter how much privilege we've had, there's a way that seems right, but its end is death. So again, what is it saying about you, and what's it saying about me, and why is it there twice? In fact, I can remember when I was in the Air Force, I was um, a wonderful coworker of mine. We traveled around at different places together for work. And I began to share the gospel with him. In fact, I, I used a lot of Proverbs. I just, I mean, we'd be just talking about life, and I'd mention a proverb. And I actually mentioned that proverb, that proverb uh, you know, the, the, that's in there twice, Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. And he loved it. He's like, yeah, I get it. He's like, so many people are just so deceived about things. They're just clueless. They don't get it. And then one day, he's like, oh, maybe that applies to me. And soon after, he became a follower of Jesus, right? At first, he said, I thought this verse applied to everyone else but me, <laughs> right? They don't see it. They don't see it. They're missing out. They really, they're really clueless. But I got it. I'm in the know. As, as, a, as a young mother, I'm in the know. I know exactly what my kids need. As a, as a young husband, I know exactly what to do, Right? That we, or I have a good idea. I don't know exactly, but I have a fairly good idea. And then, and then five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years go by. And it's like, wow. Um, what happened? What happened? So let's turn to the left again. Proverbs 9.8. Let's, let's see what's going on here. How do we work our way out of this? Proverbs 9.8. It's on page 548. Listen to this, Proverbs 9.8. See how rich the Proverbs are? We could spend lots of time here. Proverbs 9.8, listen to this. It says, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. What kind of, how do you know you're wise? By how you respond to rebuke, to correction. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness, I was going the wrong way. I had no idea. Thank you so much for like pointing that out. And like I, I just missed that. That is so helpful. The wise person is the one who realizes how easily mistaken they can be and actually not just is welcoming or not just receives correction, but is actually what? Willing to go out and get it. If you're in the, if you're in the world of higher education, if you're a researcher, a writer, 
If you're at the forefront of your field, you're someone who is eager to be corrected. You, you, I'm sorry, what, what did I miss? I want to get to the truth. I want to, I want to, I want to do what's best, and so I'm, I'm eager for someone to come alongside. Turn to the right, just a few pages, Proverbs 12, verse 1. Proverbs 12, verse 1. I promise you, we really will get to Romans 15 here in a second. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But, but whoever hates correction is stupid. That word stupid there by our means brutish, animal-like, like a mule. Do you love discipline? Do you love correction? Are you inviting that? Is that something that you want in your life and relationships? Turn to the right a little further. Still going to stick in Proverbs one last time. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. It's on page 565. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Isn't that crazy? Like, are you kidding me? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Isn't that amazing? But an enemy multiplies kisses. Those of you who are young, listen to me. Those of you in elementary school, junior high, high school, there is a form of fake friends who all they ever do is flatter you. Do you know what is flattery? You guys know what flattery is? Flattery is when all they do is just say nice things about you. They butter you up. Why? To manipulate you. To get something from you. Whether it's just your, to make them like you, whatever it may be. They flatter you. The, the, the scripture here is saying that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You could also translate friends, wounds from a friend are faithful. That is to say, they're regular. You know I've got a real friend if every once in a while you're like, listen, stop, we got to do a timeout. We got to talk. Okay, and we'll talk about that more, what that looks like. But this notion of real friendship, of real community is going to involve both championing, as we'll talk about, and challenging. That real community, real friendships, real relationships have that element. In fact, we are to posture ourselves like David does. We're going to leave the Proverbs, we're going to go to the Psalms real quick. Go to Psalm 141, verse 3. Psalm 141, that's page 537. 537. Psalm 141. Actually, let's just read, yeah, let's, let's, let's read three, verse 3 through 5. That works. Again, this is page 537. It says, this is King David, by the way, okay? This is a guy who's seen a lot. He's done a lot of things wrong. Um, and, uh, and he says this, Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. <laughs> right? Set a guard over my mouth. What's he saying? Like, keep me from saying things that are really foolish and hurtful. Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. So that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat of their delicacies. He's saying, look, there's a lot of temptations out there. There's a lot of delicacies out there that I might be drawn to. Please keep me, keep my heart from being inclined to those. And then look at verse 5. This is amazing. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a, that is a kindness. In fact, the word kindness there is the, word, the famous Hebrew word chesed. 
right? It means commitment, steadfast commitment. I know that you're committed to me. I know that you're a real friend if you're willing to do what? Boom. <laughs> right? Let a righteous man strike me. This is David, a warrior soldier. Hit me upside the head with a two-by-four if I need it. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. To place oil on someone's head is a way of expressing your love, your affection for them, your, 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 your delight in them. It's even a way of consecrating. Say, listen, you're special to me. My head will not refuse it. Isn't that amazing? What a statement. What a statement that he makes here. So David is actually inviting strong rebukes, inviting that sort of correction. So now maybe you're saying, so time out, hold on. Maybe you're saying, okay, that makes sense. I get what you're saying. Wisdom says that we should listen to others. We should accept correction. That makes sense. I got you. I'm with you. So then the question is what? Why don't we do it? Right? Why am I so defensive? Why are we so defensive? Why are we so unapproachable? Here's a dangerous question. Go to someone who's honest and who knows you well, maybe a family member, close friend, and say, how approachable am I? Am I defensive? Can you be, can you be honest with me? Are they, would they be scared to answer that question? Would it be too risky for them to answer that question honestly? Because at the end of the day, I'm just too defensive. I'm not approachable. And not only that, but why don't, if we, if we know that we need correction, if we know that we all need correction, why don't I go to you when, when you're struggling? Right? Why don't we go to others when they are struggling, when they need correction, when they need some sort of to come alongside and say, whoa, well, time out, this is not okay. Why don't we do that? Why don't we go after that fellow brother or sister when they are wandering off? We just go, oh, that's unfortunate. Hope it works out better for them. And we just let it go. Compare the following, the two following stories. This is a, uh, quite a while ago. I was in the living room playing my guitar, singing a song. Believe it or not, I do that every once in a while. I'm not very good at it, as you know, when I try to lead worship. But I, I play the guitar, and I sing, and I'm just doing it. And I thought I was doing pretty well. In fact, I was kind of like, oh, look at me go. Right? And, and then um, <clears throat> Sarah's in the kitchen prepping for dinner. And she can hear me, of course. And at one point, she sings along with me, but more in tune. And she says, you're off. You're flat. And you know what I said? I said, thank you so much. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> thank you so much. I, I feel so loved in this moment. Thank you for letting me know how off I was. Keep correcting me until I get it right. No, I didn't say that. I said something else. Now, compare that story to this story, okay? So uh, one of the, one, a young man that I had the joy of, of having in my pastoral ministry in North Carolina, a guy named Matt. And Matt was a professional violinist. He got his PhD in, in violin performance. And uh, I was asking him about lessons, violin lessons. Obviously, he had received a boatload of violin lessons, and now as a PhD student was actually giving lessons. And this is what he says. This is so amazing. Contrast this, what he's saying, with what, with, you know, your pastor in the living room with his guitar. Leave me alone. I'm fine. Right? 
he says this. He, he says, the most important changes, the changes that improved my playing the most, just felt wrong. Did you hear that? The change, the most important changes in, to, to, to learn to play the violin well, the ways to improve, the, the changes that I needed the most, the changes that improved my playing the most, just felt wrong. And he says, listen to this, this is so counterintuitive, I love it. He says, if we're a good student, errors will need to be pointed out. Why is that? It seems kind of strange. If you're a good student, errors will need to be pointed out. Why is that? Because if you're a good student, what are you going to do with the errors that you see? You're going to correct them. But just simply because you've corrected all the errors that you see, that doesn't mean that you're no longer making mistakes. There are mistakes that you, even, even the best of us, the best student, we're still going to make these mistakes. We're still going to have these blind spots, and we're going to need someone else to point them out. And he says, and it will feel foreign. It will feel inhibiting to make those changes. He continues, we love to think of ourselves as experts. Hey, I've played the violin for two years now. Right? I've been a parent for five years now. I've been married for five years, ten years, ten years now. We love to think of ourselves as experts. In truth, we have no idea how little we know. We can only see we can only see how little we know in hindsight. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. He says, and by that time, by the time we can only see those things in hindsight, and by that time, we are having to unlearn what we have wrongly made into a habit. This is one of the great curses of being an instrumentalist, is that you practice, 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 and the terrible things that you can practice, practice, practice wrong. And you have to somehow figure out how to undo those habits that you spent so much time learning because you thought you were doing it the right way. And he continues finally, the last thing he says is a word of hope here. He says, as a teacher, listen to this, I can see how often students don't realize how much they can grow. Isn't that beautiful? On the one hand, it's like, oh man, there's a lot of room to grow. On the other hand, what? You have so much opportunity to grow. Don't you see what you could become? It's not just about correcting. It's about championing. It's about saying, hey, listen, you could be so much more. You have gifts. You have, a, uh, you have, you have opportunities that you just don't see in front of you. So this notion of, uh, of a community that, where there's this sense of interaction, engagement, of championing, of, 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 of championing and challenging is so foreign to our, human, uh, to our, our, our present agility culture. Now, why was my response to correction so different from Matt's? Why did I not receive my wife's correction? You can say it. Proud. Ego. Jimmy, go ahead. What did you, you say? That's, that's well said. Thank you, Jimmy. Someone's listening. Yeah, thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, let's give this guy a round of applause. That is pretty high. There you go. Anyway, Jimmy. Yeah, so the, the question is, yeah, so I'm, so I'm, I'm proud. I thought I'm doing it right. I think I, think I got to figure it out. I said, listen to me. I sound like, you know, the, the original singer. <laughs> right? I sound just as good as the Doors do. Jim Morrison. Right? No, not remotely. 
And again, for, for Matt, he, wanted, he was receptive to correction. Why? Because he wanted to grow. He wanted to change, and he realized he couldn't do it on his own. Uh, so many of you probably from working environments will be familiar with Patrick Lencioni, his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He says this, he says, great teams do not hold back with one another. They don't hold back with one another. They are unafraid to air their dirty laundry. They admit their mistakes, they own their weaknesses, and they express their concerns without fear of reprisal. Is that Team Good Shepherd? What do you think? Great teams do not hold back with one another. They are unafraid to air their dirty laundry. They admit their mistakes, own their weaknesses, and express their concerns without fear of reprisal. Listen, let me say it again. We live in an agility culture. And when it comes to relationships, listen to this. In our day and age, there is no requirement to care. I don't have to care about you. In fact, I'll have a relationship with you if somehow it caters to me, if it quenches some sort of thirst that I have. I don't have, there's no requirement to care, only to consume, only to cater to me. If you stop helping me, I have no obligation. There's no requirement to care. Second, there's no requirement to be qualified. I don't have to like learn something to be a spouse. I don't have to learn something to be a friend. I don't have to learn, say, peacemaking skills. I don't have to learn, for example, how to talk to you and express difficult things. I don't have to care, I don't have to be qualified, and I don't, certainly don't have to coach you or counsel you. In fact, my job as a friend today, if I'm going to be in a relationship with you, my job is to con condone everything you do. Right? I'll let you do you. Hey, listen, you, you go, as long as you're happy. Whatever you think. You, you, I, I want what's, what you think is best for you. Never would I intervene. Never would I coach, if you will. To stop for a second and talk about this, this, this illustration of a coach. In fact, it's one of the few areas, there are uh, music lessons and then on the, on, the, on the athletic fields where you can actually confront. It's actually expected that you might, yeah, you might actually be, you know, like yelled at. And how many of you have been on a sports team where your coach yelled at you? Right? Yeah. It's just a given. At some point, sometimes they didn't, you didn't deserve it, but a lot of times you did. And you were like, oh, wow, I needed, I needed that. Right? Coaches have this ability, they have this authority, it's amazing. It's unique. So many other places in our world today, you just, just you can't do that anymore. And why is the coach allowed to do it? What gives him or her the right to really confront you? Because it's about winning. It's about a team. It's, about a, it's not about you as an individual. And so listen to this. In this verse that we read, going from the right, it won't take long at all, in chapter, chapter 15 of Romans, this climactic statement here, Romans chapter 15, verse 14, on page 978. I love this. This is so beautiful. Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. The way I would translate that, that you guys care. That's to say the goodness here is the idea that they want the good of others. You, you, you are desiring what is best for others. You yourselves are full of goodness. That you're filled with knowledge. A, they, they've grown, they've learned, they're qualified. 
And then he says this, this last thing, that's the one I've been focusing on most, that you are competent to instruct one another. That word to instruct, to, to teach, to, it's really more, it has, a, has an edge to it, it really does. Not just coach, but challenge. Again, it's like two parts challenge, one part champion. So I am for you. I want you to win. And because of that, I am going to stand and say, whoa, time out, this is not okay. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to say, I don't think you're seeing things rightly here. Because that's what real community, real friends, real family, that's what we do. We don't just passively stand aside and just say, well... I'm glad I'm not them. No, there's this, this sense of I need to do this. And let's talk about what does that actually look like? What does it look like to just very, very, it's very, fairly simple, okay? It's not rocket science, but here's the thing. You're never going to do it perfectly. You're never going to do it perfectly. The first thing that when you go to someone to, to counsel them, to instruct them, to coach them, to confront them, the first ingredient is absolutely essential. It's hope. You have to go to people with hope. If you go to them cynically, if you go to them skeptically, if you go to them like, listen, I think it's too late for you. If you go to them um, in, in a way that just, is just skeptical, that, that God can work in their life, that God, can, that God is at work in their life, that he can, can actually overcome whatever they're facing, you go to them with hope. And that's what's so important. You have to ask yourself, do I believe that God can change this person? Or am I just going to them out of irritation, out of frustration, out of woundedness? How dare you hurt me so much? We have to go to them in hope. Second, we have to go to them in humility. I have to be able to go to them and say, you know what, I am no better than this person. Romans, in the book of the letter of Romans, it says it twice. There is no difference. There's no difference. There's no difference between you and me. There's no difference between him and her. There's no difference. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve judgment. So I go to them with humility, but not only humility that says I'm no better, but a humility that says, listen, ask questions. Maybe you misunderstood something. You don't go with a preconceived judgment of this is exactly what happened, this is who you are. You go to them and you say, listen, I... This is what I know. This is what I see. Help me, help me, let's talk about this. I'm concerned about this. Am I right? You give them a chance to really respond. They're like, you want to listen to them. Because maybe you're not, you don't have the whole picture. <gasps> right? Maybe you, you, you haven't heard all there is to be, all that's to be heard. So you go to them in hope. You go to them in humility. And then you go to them after prayer. If you're not going to pray for them, if you haven't been praying for them, if you're not in prayer about them, stop. Just give it up. All right, don't, you don't, you don't, I'm sorry, the truth is, if you're not in prayer, then you really don't care. You don't care about them because you're not actually going to the Father and interceding for them. So what does it mean to look like, to actually counsel, to instruct, to challenge? Hope, humility, <coughs> prayer, and finally, perseverance. That you're you understand saying, hey, listen, you need to figure this out. Drive by, get it together! You know what I mean? No, it's just, no, you're actually there. I'm going to stick with you. I'm here, I'm your brother, I'm your sister in the Lord, and listen, we're going to fight this together. Let me know, I'm going to be praying for you, I'm all about that. Paul says, listen, Romans, I know that you guys 
You've got it together. You know why? Because you care. You really care. You're filled with goodness. You're qualified. You've knowledge. You, you, you study. You're learning. You're growing. You're figuring out, how do I do these things? I've just written you this letter of Romans 12 through 15 that shows you how to do community life. You are filled with knowledge. And you are competent. You are able to coach, to confront, to encourage, to equip one another. Let's pray together.